one of the things that's coming up, you'll see over the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about this. We've got our men's rally coming up. We've got a lot of cool things planned for our men's rally, February 5th, <clears throat> Friday night. Um, uh, not to go into great detail about this, just because of kind of the way it looks sometimes, but we're going to have, at the men's rally, we're going to have, um, I'll say it this way, we're going to have a gun safety expo, <clears throat> something like that. We'll let you see what that looks like. Really looking forward to it. Got some cool things uh, planned there. I also wanted to mention that uh, this Saturday, Kathy Lee Taylor's uh, memorial service is going to be here at the church at 11 o'clock. And... Um, uh, you, you can get more details by emailing the church office if you need to. <clears throat> Talk to uh, any of our pastors around here or Tara or anybody that uh, works at the church. They can help you out with information there. Um, this is There's going to be Robert's, uh, some family members and some different things. So um, if, you need to, if you need to know, just ask the church office <clears throat> about some stuff. So I was looking online at a couple of things, and I've, I've mentioned this off and on a little bit, but I, I, um, there's two separate studies that I was looking at. One is by a group uh, named Revolver, and then another <clears throat> has nothing to do with guns. Um, and another one is by a, a Canadian medical group that did a bunch of studies. There's actually been quite a few studies done on this. These are the two major ones that I've found that give lots and lots of statistics. It's not just we think but there is actually statistical basis for all of the, both of these studies. And the studies basically are proving that um, <clears throat> the lockdowns that we've had over this last year have been 10 times more deadly than the actual virus. Imagine how many people that is. This, that, 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 and this is, again, this isn't like, well, I feel like this or whatever. This is statistics of actual people and lives uh, that have been uh, affected horribly negatively uh, because of the COVID lockdowns. <clears throat> and again, I keep talking about this, there's so many different studies also done that the face mask that we're, that we're told to wear everywhere we go are actually very uh, unhealthy ways to approach anything. It's not, a, it's not a positive, healthy thing, but for some reason we just keep doing this, we just keep doing this. Even Dr. Fauci himself said face masks were not good for uh, people to be wearing. And we keep doing this. And the reason I'm saying that is because we're going to see another round of this coming up here pretty soon. We're going to see another round of another strain. Um, that they, one of the CDC doctors just talked about this two weeks ago, that, that we are never going to be free from coronavirus now. Coronavirus is in the world, and we are never going to be free from it. Well, which is not scary, because we're not free of the flu either. But that's the mentality is, the coronavirus is this horribly, overly deadly virus that needs to be, you know, pandemic kind of mentality and stuff, and it's not. The reason I'm saying this is because we are going to see another, there's going to be a new strain of virus, and we're going we're to consider all these lockdowns and stuff again. I mean, guys, we, there's going to have to be a point. I, I've been watching this around town, I'm going to different restaurants and things, how some restaurants are so much about, you know, 25% uh, capacity and this, every other table is clear and all that stuff. And then you walk into some restaurants and they're packed shoulder to shoulder. Those are the ones I want to go to. Because somebody in that restaurant is saying enough's enough. 
we're just, we're just going to have, we're just going to do business as usual. Because the coronavirus is not this dangerous pandemic. I'll give you one other thing. We, the CDC should be celebrating this. The WHO should be celebrating this. The World Health Organization, not the band. They should be celebrating this from the rooftops. Um, last year, there was thousands and thousands of deaths attributed, not this last year, but the year before, attributed to the flu. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of deaths attributed to the flu. Do you know how many deaths were attributed to the flu this past calendar year? 77. Now, why is, why is the CDC not celebrating? Guys, we defeated the flu. We beat the flu, and the flu no longer exists. We should be, we should be celebrating this. There should be pe- people running in the streets in parades. The flu, the flu has been completely annihilated. Because we all know that's stupid. Uh, some of the deaths this year that were attributed to coronavirus were flu. Just like every year there's flu. And every year there's going to be coronavirus. And every year there's going to be this stuff. We don't need to shut everything down. That's where we have to, to just stand up. We have to just stand up. And I don't know what that means in everybody's world. Um, I know what it means in mine. I don't know what it means in everybody's world. Now, I also wanted to mention this just a little bit because there's just so much activity. There's so much stuff going on right now online. There's a barrage of all kinds of ideas and thoughts and all this kind of stuff where our cell phones are going to be shut down. There's going to be martial law. There's going to be all this other kind of stuff. Um, this This is where I'm at with all of this. I really don't know. I just really don't know. I don't know what's going on with all of this. This is, this is what I would say. If something really just crazy, and, and supposedly it's supposed to start tonight, but if, if all this stuff just starts going weird and our country just goes weird, it doesn't mean anything different about you. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to be worried or nervous or scared or anything. I texted my daughter this morning, and I said, okay, if things go weird, just go to your dorm room. That's like the extent. She bought some snacks. She'll be okay. It's not like nuclear explosions are happening. It's we're going. We may have to go through some difficult stuff. And and I've heard people going crazy online about what happens if all of our cell phones go down. And I understand that um, because I, I was in high school with no cell phones, and I know how horrible it can be not to be able to instantly be able to reach somebody. But of course, at that time, I didn't know that was a possibility. So, so it'll be like 1984 all over again. See what I did there, a little double entendre? Okay, so <clears throat> it's okay, guys. We, the, the, the world's not going to collapse. There may be some crazy things, and I don't know what's true and what's not true. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's not going to happen. But here's the thing. Just don't panic. Don't worry about it. Don't stress. God's still in charge. There's no difference in your personal life, except you may not be able to get Grubhub. So, so, so think about just... Just be calm. Pray for the two basic things we've always uh, should be praying for is justice and truth. Justice and truth. Let that rise to the surface. Whatever that looks like, whoever gets called out or whoever doesn't get called out, justice and truth. Genesis chapter one. This is um, this. So I've been I've been saying this. This is like the first one of this group for the next few months. I'm going to be talking about. Uh, some of the things that we need to really be focusing on and looking at when it comes to <clears throat> the kingdom of God. 
that I am part of the kingdom of God. Now, for a long time, specifically in America, we've allowed things like the kingdom of God to be where we're just talking about proactively being kind of thing. Um, instead of really thinking about proactively being, what does it mean to be the kingdom of God? Or, <clears throat> or a lot of the ways the Old Testament says a part of the armies of God. Remember many times in the Old Testament, when it talks about the Lord, it says the Lord of heaven's armies. Um, I think that would also include us. We are supposed to be uh, uh, developing, building, and, and uh, fighting for the kingdom of God. Um, not, not in a physical way, okay? I mean, there's, there's, there's times in Scripture when that happens, and there may be times in our future when that happens. But Jesus himself kind of squashed the idea that fighting for the kingdom of God is a physical thing. Okay? It's not a sword and shield kind of thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a, it's a spiritual fight, and we fight that mostly by prayer and, and, uh, and, and telling people about Jesus. And so we're looking at over the next few months... How do I personally, you personally, um, take on the responsibility of the kingdom of God? Building it, uh, um, establishing it in places it doesn't exist, bringing people into the kingdom of God, that's witnessing, uh, making disciples, those kind of things. How do we do this? So, so if we have a major, major shift in our country and, and church like we see it right now becomes difficult or impossible, how do we, how do we still build the kingdom of God and have the church, which, by the way, is going to look a lot more like the New Testament than what we're doing in today's society, okay? So how do we do that? And so <clears throat> I want to go with, to Genesis chapter 1. You know, you know, there's a lot of things that I think Scripture tells us that are, that are passively telling us without us realizing this. Uh, for example, I, I'll use one thing where <clears throat> when we talk about things like um, physical laws of nature, something like gravity, okay, well, gravity exists. Why? Because um, it exists. Okay, but that's, that's not true. Uh, well, because of the way the world spins, the globe spins, and then the rotation around the sun. Okay, but here's the thing. It doesn't just exist because it exists. Gravity exists because God made it. And that's the way God designed it. Something simple like Jesus dying on the cross. And we see, starting even from the garden, that it is the, um, it is the, the death and the blood of an animal that covered us and protected us when we sinned, okay? In a, in a sense, temporarily forgave us. And then Jesus, he, he fulfills this plan and dies on the cross so that his blood forgives us once and for all. Well, we say, well, that's the way it is. It demands our sin, demands uh, a blood sacrifice. But here's the question, why? Because God made it that way. Well, we, we breathe oxygen and the sun uh, uh, gives us the nutrients that we need in our skin, all this other kind of stuff. But why? Because God made it that way. There is nothing that exists, according to John 1, there is nothing that exists, and that even means laws of nature and everything, that God didn't create. Okay, now why am I saying that? Because here's something that you may never have thought about. Why did God not just make um, let's say 20,000 people <clears throat> at the beginning, I mean. Why did he make Adam? Just one. Now, there's, as we get a little bit further in Scripture, uh, a handful of chapters in Genesis, there's a possibility that, that God made more people kind of thing. I mean, that's debated and with the Nephilim and all kinds of different things. But I'm saying, 
Let's go to the garden. God, God created Adam, formed him out of the dust of the ground, breathed into him, and he makes Adam. Why did God make one person? Why didn't he make a lot? Well, you say, well, you know, Adam was the uh, father of, of all humanity. Right, because God decided it that way. So why? Because God doesn't do anything by accident. Then he comes along later, much, much later. Adam was on the earth a long time before Eve came along, right? Then he comes along later and he takes, puts Adam to sleep, takes a rib and makes Eve. And so now we have man and woman, <clears throat> just, just one couple. Why? why? Why did God just do one? Now here is, here is one posit, and I believe, that you can, I believe that you can get this through Scripture quite a bit. If you just, just kind of casually follow the trail of Scripture, you'll, you'll, I think you see this pretty consistently through Scripture. There was one Adam created, one person that started this whole thing, because that's how God does everything. When, when God rescues his people, there is a person that takes a stand. When God uh, changes this battle or does something, there's always one person that starts the, is, that is the catalyst that starts the process. There is always one person kind of thing. And, and the reason I think that is so important is because the kingdom of God is this collective of millions upon millions, potentially hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. But interestingly, when we see that, even in Scripture, when we see the Israelites are, you know, a, a two million strong in this story or, or a million strong in this story, there's always an individual <clears throat> that stands up and takes the stand. There is the Daniel that is fighting in the three Hebrew children, but we all know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's like one person. And so there is that moment of individuality that always happens in Scripture where God calls somebody out and he says, I need you. Will you do what I've asked you to do? Will you stand up? Will you go here? Will you say this? Will you pray this? Will you turn your heart to me? I love, I love reading about the kings, um, all the kings to the Old Testament, the Judah kings and the, and the um, Israel kings. Um, two trails through Scripture, Judah and Israel. And it'll say this king um, became a king and did uh, evil in the sight of the Lord like his grandfather. This king did evil. And then every now and then there'll be a king that it says um, this king did, uh, was, did pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And then it'll say something where there's an in-between. This king did pleasing in the sight of the Lord, but he didn't take care of this altars and the Asherah, uh, uh, altars of Baal, Asherah, all this other kind of stuff. We see where... They're, they're kind of middle of the road, and usually calamity comes to them eventually. But it's always about an individual. It's that person. And I think God is showing us this with Adam where he says, I'm creating one man, and out of one person, the, the whole rest of the earth comes into existence. The whole rest of the, you know, go and multiply, and person after person after person. And we can trace our lineage not back to a bunch of people, but we can trace our lineage back to one person, Adam. This is, I think this is important because as we, as we kind of move forward in where we're heading as a society right now, I think it's important for us to, to, um, to own this, I guess you could say, to, to take ownership and responsibility uh, for the kingdom of God in a way, in a very individualistic way that maybe we haven't done before. And I'm saying across the church at large, um, but specifically the church in America and even more specifically right here at Briargate, 
is for us to really think through what does it mean for me to own this thing. When I, when I talk to married couples and I do pre-married counseling, um, I always go over, there's always a little segment where we spend a little time talking about um, taking ownership for this marriage. And one of the things <clears throat> that I mention is that marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100% from you. Doesn't, you don't worry yourself about the other person. You just take 100% ownership of it. And if you'll take 100% ownership of the marriage, the chances of that marriage lasting are really, really good. Chances of that marriage growing and developing are really, really good. You don't, you don't um, take 100% ownership as long as the other person is doing right and treating you right or whatever the case is. You just take this marriage upon your own shoulders and say, if this, if this marriage wins or loses, it's all going to be about me. I'm going, to, I'm going to own the responsibility of this. When you start talking to couples about that, now when you're talking to pre-married couples, they have no problem. They're like, "Yes, yes, we, I would, I want to own it." But that's that's because they're they're Twitter pated. But it, if you as you move into marriage and you move into years, and those years become decades, that kind of thing, this this makes a lot more sense. At any given moment in your marriage, you can begin to um, uh, shirk responsibility. Not be as, as committed in your mind and your spirit as you should be. And that can, by the way, that ebbs and flows. But <clears throat> you, you, because you start looking at what they're doing or how they're saying or how they're acting, whatever the case is. And of course, Satan's messing with you too in circumstances. And you can go through difficult times in life and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, you begin to really question um, the validity maybe of the marriage and definitely the, the buy-in from the other person. But if you own it 100%, all of that's moot. doesn't mean anything because I'm owning this. It's the same concept with the kingdom of God. You can always find fault with something somewhere. But if you take 100% responsibility, if the kingdom of God is going to move forward, it's going to take me doing this. This is, this is always the, the way that I ask the question just to get in our head with this. If, if the entire kingdom of God was... Uh, witnessing to people with the same intensity that you're witnessing to people, would the kingdom of God move forward? Would people get saved? In other words, take, take um, how many people you witnessed to this last year and you multiply across the entire kingdom of God and that's how many people get witnessed to across the entire world. Would that be a good thing or would that be a bad thing? You see how convicting that can get pretty quick? If the entire kingdom of God is, is dependent upon how dedicated I am, how focused I am, how, how uh, uh, serious I am about the gospel being presented and, and witnessing to people, if the entire kingdom of God was resting on my shoulders with this, would it move forward or not? And this is something that, that many different cultures around the world see very different than America. We have allowed ourselves in America to be spectators and not participants. To be spectators and expect the people that we are watching, the, the, the uh, chosen few, and, and by the way, I'm not blaming this necessarily on, on the church at large. I'm blaming this mostly upon the church leadership. The church leadership has propagated this. They've worked on this. 
that we, we don't want you doing stuff. We want you doing a little bit of things, but really what we want you doing is helping me do what I want done. I've got these three or four plans, and I want you to do these few plans. Instead of, you're part of the kingdom of God, you minister to people, you seek God, you divide God's word, rightly divide God's word, you do these things, and you carry the responsibility of the kingdom on your shoulders. We, we've built a culture that says, no, we pay a handful of people to do all of that stuff because they're, they're superstars and they're going to do all this stuff. And then I can sit back and just kind of watch and see. And, and man, we've got an exciting church and it's growing and we've got, we've got smoke machines and lights and acrobats. We've got all kinds of stuff. But at some particular point, we have become spectators rather than participants. We're not building the kingdom. We're watching something that looks like the building of the kingdom. It looks like there are still, guys, think about what I'm saying. There are still many, many churches all over the country that have not opened their doors since last February. Something's greatly wrong with that. Now, if, if that meant that all these, these people in all those churches had, had migrated to other churches and, and were starting Bible studies in their home and everything, it'd be fine. I would say, don't open your doors. It doesn't matter. But there are people all over the country that are just waiting for their church to open their doors again, and they have not been going to church or maybe watching online some, but they're not going to church. There's, we're, we, we slowly die on the vine when that happens. We've got to be participants. So, I want to show you a scripture here that I think is some pretty interesting <clears throat> in, the, in the idea that we, you and I, individually are the kingdom of God. There is a collective mentality, but you and I are individually. Exodus chapter 3. Now, this, um, <clears throat> um, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. I, I'm sorry I'm doing this. I have something wrong with my eyes the last three or four weeks, and I bought some little medicine, a little bottle like this for medicine for my eyes, $85 for that. I missed my eye with a drop this week, and I felt like I wasted $15. But uh, I, I don't see real well right now. Glasses, not glasses, doesn't matter, and so I'm struggling a little bit. Exodus chapter 3. Now, Again, you are the kingdom of God and I are the kingdom. Is there, is there a collective mentality? There always is a collective mentality. There is not, Jesus didn't just die for one person. He died for one person, me, but he also died for another person, you, and he also died for many other people. But, but I have to take this individualistically. I have to own this individualistically. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, mountain of God. I, I like the fact that it says that he went far into the wilderness because first, why would he do that? You know, he's tending the sheep, he's taking care of the sheep, and I think there is that, you know, you're just wandering through the mountains and there wasn't like a specific place that you hung out when you were, were a shepherd of sheep, but it's almost like he's just, he just wanted to take a journey. But you can also see where the Holy Spirit is guiding this whole thing. I've seen this many times in my life. I've seen it many times in other people's lives where <clears throat> you're, you're, um, you're just kind of following God. It's not like 
focused, intentional, where am I supposed to be next? But, but you end up where God wants you to be. Does that make sense? You end up there. Why? Because Scripture says the steps of a righteous person are ordered by God. If you'll just take, this is one of the things when I'm talking to people about God's will. How do I find God's will? One of the ways you find God's will is you just get in God's will today. Now, I do believe there are times, and I know that it has happened to me, where God specifically says, I need you to do this, and it's more of a long-term thing, or it's a destination or something like that. I get that. But I think a lot of times, uh, us doing God's will is just being in Him and just serving Him today. And if you'll serve Him today and take that step in Him today, and then you do the same thing tomorrow. You take your step in the Lord tomorrow, and you're not letting all the other stuff infiltrate and mess with you or whatever. You're just serving God. You're just focused on God. You're just, you're just in love with God, and you're just going to follow Him. It's amazing how six months later, a year later, five years later, you're, you're doing exactly what God has wanted you to do the entire time. And it's not necessarily some big light from heaven kind of thing. And I think this is what's happening with Moses. Moses is, <clears throat> we see where he had made a transition somehow, somewhere in the, in the uh, quite a few years, 40 years he was in the wilderness there and, and, and tending sheep and doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, um, God has a, a, the next step of the plan for Moses. And he leads Moses to this place, and Moses has no idea that his life is about to make a major transition. Okay? He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Now, I've never had, <clears throat> I've never had a moment like this where I'm standing there and a bush is burning and God is speaking to me out of the bush. But I can tell you on a spiritual level, I've had things that are just as profound as what Moses is experiencing here where God is speaking to me. God is showing me some things. He's, he's pulled me to a point in life where I have to make a decision. I have to choose, am I going to follow God or am I not going to follow God? Am I going to do what he's asked me to do or am I not going to do what he's asked me to do? Okay? And I really believe that as a Christian, um, we come to these places. Now, um, quite honestly, I've talked to people over the years that have never had an experience um, of intensity with God. But usually, and I'm not trying to pick on us here, but guys, we need to, we need to process this a little bit. Usually, if a Christian is living for the Lord for any amount of time and there's not these major moments along the way where, where we're having to decide things and, and choose to move forward or not move forward, it's probably because our, our Christianity is nominal. It's, it's a lazy Christianity. We're not pursuing. We're not getting in. Satan's not messing with us, and we're not listening to the Holy Spirit. We're just kind of floating along. There, there, when you're really seeking God and you're really pursuing Him, there is going to be conflicts. There's going to be spiritual conflicts between you and the kingdom of hell. There's going to be times when you have to choose the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be times when you, when you are needing the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that you're, that you're seeking God and God is, is, is uh, empowering you and flowing into your mind and your heart because you're seeking him. If you're not ever going further in God, if you're not ever seeking him, if you're not ever getting in the word and you're just kind of showing up every now and then, you're kind of going to church, you're not going to have those moments. You can literally float through life, and I've met people that have been Christians for decades that have never had spiritually profound moments. Why? Because you're, you're just treading water. You're just kind of in the, in the shallow end of the pool, and nothing's going on, it doesn't matter, and there's no, I, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not doing anything, I'm just living life. 
As there are times, if you're really pursuing God, there are times when you have no other option but get on your face before God and seek Him. I mean, really seek Him. Because you know this is a spiritual thing. You don't know the answer to it, but you need God at that particular moment. There are going to be burning bush moments in your life if you're really seeking God. There's going to be, and you just got to, you just got to, Pursue him. But here's the reality. I've seen this for years. We're scared. Oftentimes we're really scared. We're scared of really letting God be in charge. We're scared. We're scared of opening up. We're scared of of really letting the Holy Spirit get into our mind and our spirit and dig around and do some things. We're scared of the Lord pulling us in close. We're scared to death that he may wrap his arms around us and we may, we may be transformed by his love. We may be transformed by the, the grace that we feel that is him. And those are scary times sometimes to really just let go. I've watched guys for years and I'll pick on the men. Women are the same in this. They're just, it looks different. But I've watched guys for years that are, that are, that are scared to death to actually open up and worship in a church service. They're just scared. They, they, they're scared to raise their hands. They're scared to, to actually sing through the songs. They're scared to, to pray. They're scared to whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of levels to this. Um, because, because of something. Now, usually what they say is, well, you know, I, other people are watching me or whatever the case is. It's, it's insecurity. I, I think it's deeper than that. I think a lot of times we're, we're scared that, that we may actually fall into the Lord's presence. Guys, this is where we see Moses coming to. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to him. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And that's the key, is Moses didn't run away. He said, I must go see it. As when, when the Holy Spirit begins to move in our life and he's, and he's t- t- speaking to us and he's taking us a direction and he's, he's trying to do something with us, our response has got to be, even if we're not sure what's going on, our response has got to be, I've I, I got to get closer, not run away. I've got to open up more, not run away. I've got to see this because this is the difference. This is the defining moment for this, this, this stage of your life. This is it. What, what if Moses would have seen the burning bush and then just ran away? What if he would have just taken off the other direction? That, that was a possibility. The reason that we see the rest of this story is because Moses walked up to the bush. What if he would have left? This defined, this defined not just him, but the people of God. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. I've often wondered about the take off the sandals thing. Take off the sandals because you're standing on holy ground. I think this was symbolic. I don't think I'm saying from God to Moses, not like it didn't happen. I believe it happened, but I think it was symbolic at some level because if, if God can be in a bush, a real bush, and it not burn up, I don't think 
Moses' souls are keeping God's presence from him. Right? I don't think he needs to be grounded like this. Those are rubber and he's going to... I don't... You know, obviously it wasn't rubber. So I don't know what, what the deal is except for that God is, is trying to say to him in a symbolic way, Moses, this is a very... This is a very sensitive thing. Take off your shoes because I want you to be, I want you to be right on the ground where I am, my presence is right now. Right? I don't think the shoes had anything to do with it, except, and now there is some things, and I've read this, and I don't know how much this plays into it. You know, sandals were dirty and feet were dirty and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't, it's not like he said, wash your feet, Moses. He said, take your shoes off. There is something about this moment where you get humbled and you get really serious and you get sincere before God, and for this particular moment, that that there was one there was other aspects, but that one aspect. Take off your shoes. I just want I just want you to humble yourself before me. This isn't about you going anywhere, or doing anything. You're, you're just going to be right here. Put your shoes over there. You can get them later when it's time to leave. Right now, you're just you and me. And there's this brokenness, I think, that that God is pulling from Moses, that He's. I mean, he had done his own thing when he was in Egypt earlier. He goes out in the wilderness, and now God is speaking to him again. And, and at least from my perspective, Moses is, there's got to be a part of Moses that says, so you, you still do need me, God. You still do want me. You know, that kind of thing. So, so when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Do you see the same thing here? We see the individual with Moses, and now we're seeing the collective. Same with Adam. We see Adam, and then we see the peoples of the earth um, where he and Eve multiplied. But there's the individual, and then there's the collective. There's the group. There's the congregation. There's the body, all these other kind of things. God starts with Moses. Moses, you come before me, and you submit, and then, I've seen the oppression of the people, now it's corporate. But it's still Moses, and all through this thing, the, 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 the corporate is always focused upon whether Moses is going to be obedient or not. We see this all through this story. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has meet, uh, reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. So now we go back in verse 10. Now go, for I am sending you. We see the individualistic, then we see the corporate. I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Guys, this is where I think we're coming to um, as a society. In fact, I think we've been here a long time. I think this is the key to the kingdom of God. But, but again, for us to see this in American church, we have to shift gears and go back to a biblical mindset rather than American church mindset. <clears throat> the American church mindset is not built upon you doing what God tells you. It's built upon you doing what God tells um, a pastor or a minister or some uh, TV preacher or something else. It's not you doing what God tells you. This is, this is one of the things. <clears throat> I, was, I was having this conversation with my son the other day. We were talking about, 
you know, this uh, brokenness, humility within the kingdom of God. And uh, we got to talking about um, Joel Osteen makes $40 million a year, something like that. Creflo Dollar, somewhere around those same numbers, begged people to send him an offering because he needed a new jet. Remember that about a year and a half ago, two years ago? Went on TV, did all this kind of stuff, begging people to send him money because he needs a new jet. I told my son, I said, that's, guys, that's not, that's not um, God thinking. That's not, those aren't people that are, are seeking after God and trying to have the, the, what God wants from them. That, that, having that kind of money as a minister doesn't even make sense. I, 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 I'm not against people making money. I like money. You know, so that you can have another jet. How much of that money could be used all around the world in missions and all kinds of stuff? And, and we're playing these silly games within the kingdom of God. And we think that that's acceptable. We think God is saying, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. that Think about, think about how Jesus would have a conversation with one of those guys. If Jesus physically walked on this earth right now, walked up to one of those guys, what would be the conversation? And Kenneth Copeland, that my, I, I told my son, and I've, I've believed this for years and years, uh, Kenneth Copeland's a charlatan. He's a, he's a highway robber. He's, he's a, he's a uh, greedy quack. He just trying to, he's just trying to get people's money. That's all there is to it. That's all he's ever decided to do. I sat and watched 20-something years ago. I watched him preach a sermon. I was sitting in the living room with Linda's grandfather, who was not a Christian, and I had been witnessing to him. Many people have been witnessing him. But I would, we were living with him for a while. I was trying to witness to him. I was trying to talk to him. And, he, and, it, and he's, he turns on the TV. And Kenneth Copeland's on there. And he looks over at me. He said, what do you think of this guy? And I told him, I said, I think he's, I think he's a fake. I think he's a fake. He uses God's word to make him money for himself. And while I'm saying that, Kenneth Copeland begins to preach a message. He said, look onto the fields, for they are white unto harvest. That is God trying to give you money. That is not anything of what that scripture has to do with. It is not close to what that scripture has to do with. But it's always interesting. For God to give you money, you've got to send him money. This is the thing for me. Why doesn't he send me money? If it works for me sending him money and I get rich, then why don't he send me money and he'll get richer? Right? Guys, we've been building a thing in the church for a long time that is a fake plastic thing. That as long as you do what a handful of people in the church tell you to do, the leaders, you know, pastors, things like that, then, then you're doing what God has told you to do. We've, we've got to break that cycle. God has a calling on your life. He wants you to do ministry. And it may not have anything. I'm saying this here at Briargate. It may not have anything to do with connecting with some ministry we're doing here at Church of Briargate. It might. We're not taking that off the table. But we're just including in the mix that there are things like life groups and ministry and stuff like that you can do here at Briargate. And that may be part of what God is doing with you. But I still think that most of what God wants to do with you is out there in the community. He wants you to, to, to let the Holy Spirit stir you, to tell you what he's wanting you to do. 
How are you supposed to minister? How are you supposed to see this? What are you doing? This is, this is years ago, this clicked in my head in a way that I had never understood it before, but it happened organically. I didn't, I didn't try to make it happen, whatever. Um, <clears throat> I, I, was, I had resigned as a youth pastor, and I was, I was uh, eventually I became a pastor from that time frame. About, about seven or eight months in between there, that God was really having to work on me about being a lead pastor. I didn't want to and all that stuff. I was dragging my feet. And so it took me, it took me quite a few months to get my head right, okay? I was walking in self. I was walking in some rebellion and some things like that. Um, I just didn't want to be a lead pastor. To me, they were, they were just old guys. 30 years later. <clears throat> so, um, so I was just resisting it. And I had, to, I had to pay the bills. I had to feed the family. And so I, I got two or three jobs. And one of the jobs that I had was um, di- driving a dump truck. And um, we'd get up early in the morning and go to the, to the yard. We were doing asphalt at this time. And you get there early and all stuff. And this asphalt yard was, was horrible about uh, not being ready. We, we'd, have, we, we'd have 27, 28 trucks lined up for asphalt. And we'd sit there two and three hours waiting for the plant to pour the first asphalt because they got to cook it. They got to do all kinds of stuff. And they were lazy. I don't know why we got there so early every time, but that's what our boss told us to do. So <clears throat> what we started doing is all the guys, you know, they'd park their trucks, and all the guys would get out and just kind of stand around and talk to each other. And, and after a while, there was this, there was this big gravel um, area, piles of gravel. So all the guys would be sitting there and talking, and it would be, you know, 20 guys. Some of the guys would still be in the truck or whatever. And, and um, this, this older uh, black guy really developed a good relationship with him. He... Um, one time he called me out of the truck, and he knew I was, he knew I was a minister. I'd, I had just resigned my position youth pastor, and, um, and he knew I was going to be doing something else. So one day I'm sitting there, and he calls me out of the truck. He says, Bottoms, come here. And there's, a, there's a, about 20-something guys, 20, 22, something like that guy sitting there. And he said, come here, Bottoms, I'll tell you something. So I, I go over, and all these guys are sitting there. And then he stops because he tricked me. He stopped and said, oh, now I want all you guys to pay attention. I want you to be quiet. Because Bottoms here is a minister, and he's going to preach to us. So, go ahead. And I'm just standing there like, what? And you know that scripture in my head, uh, came in my head pretty quick, be instant in season and out of season. And I wasn't so instant. <laughs> and so I began to think through this, and I pray, and I begin to talk. Well, we, I started doing that every single day. And for weeks and weeks, every single day I'd preach a message. And pretty soon, almost every guy in all the trucks were coming. They started bringing their Bibles and all kinds of stuff. We're sitting on a pile of gravel uh, talking about God and reading our Bible. And, and, I, and I, this has is, this is hung in my spirit strongly over the years. That is a calling and a ministry. You don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to be teaching a, a class in church or a life group specifically for our church when you can do it with a bunch of guys sitting on a pile of gravel. That's ministry. That's calling. Guys, we have to figure out, what is God saying to me? When that bush begins to burn and God speaks to you, what is he saying to you? You are taking responsibility for the kingdom of God. You are owning the kingdom of God. You are saying, I'm going to put this thing on my shoulders and I'm going to carry it. If somebody's going to get saved, it's because I'm going to witness to them. If somebody's going to get ministered to, it's because I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to read scripture to them. If it's going to happen, it's going to be because I did it. I'm not just going to assume somebody else is going to do it. 
This is, this is one of the things. If, this is, so I was, a, I was a corpsman in the Navy. I was a medic. And, um, and uh, when you come up on a scene, here's one of the very first things that you have to do is let's say, let's say I'm, I'm not, it's not in the military. Let's say it's an accident on the highway or something. And I've come up on many, many of those. When you come up on that, you, you have somebody call 911, right? Okay? But the way you do that is you point at somebody and you say, what is your name? Uh, Bob. Okay, Bob, I need you to call 911 right now. Do you know why you do that? Because there's studies that show if you just shout out, there's a crowd of people, if you just say, hey, somebody call 911, everybody assumes somebody else is going to do it. As we've got to get to a point where we're not assuming somebody else is going to. I'm going to own this. I'm going to take the kingdom of God and move it forward. The first thing, I put this in two categories, first, I mean three. God is sending you. We've got to get there first. If you can't own that, you, you can't ever move forward. God is sending you. God is calling you. God is anointing you. Jesus died for you. You've got a story. You've got a testimony. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you've got everything you need to tell somebody else about Jesus. You, all you have to do is just own it. God is calling me. Why? Because he saved me. And if he saved me, I can tell somebody else how to get saved. And I know this. And you've already got details that are going on that you have the story. So the first thing you're going to do is you've got to own this. God is sending you to, to say internally, God, you are sending me. You, you, there's a burning bush in my life and you are speaking from that bush. So what are you trying to speak to me? Don't don't just say, okay, God, I assume you're going to tell me. Don't be passive about it. Get before God and pray. Do some fasting, whatever it takes. Get before God and say, okay, God, where, what are you doing with me? And, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's not always going to be, well, I am now sending you to Tibet to be a missionary. It's not, it's, not, it's not always grandiose, specifically in beginnings. Oftentimes, it's just, I want you to draw closer to me. I'm sending you into my presence and my spirit, and you're going to start connecting with people. You're going to start ministering, doing some things. But he, but he may just be calling you into a deeper walk first. In fact, he's always going to do that. But you've got to own, God is sending me. Where? Where is your world right now? Where, what is your circle of influence? What are the people you interact with? That's where he's calling you? Well, I work at this company, or I do this, or I'm a, I work for my own, my own business. There's always... Okay, but God is calling you. You've got to figure that out. The second thing is you've got to respond. You must respond. Not, not, not your church must respond. Not your family must respond. Not your spouse must respond. But you must respond. I've had this conversation over the years with married couples where one of them really starts getting on fire for God and they know that God's calling them. And so they, they begin to kind of... Um, uh, transference. They're saying, well, my spouse must also. You've got to let your spouse do what God is telling them at the pace that they are walking. You say, well, they're not responding good enough. That's between them and God. Okay, I understand that. I've seen that at different times. But you've got to let them respond the way God is having them respond. You respond to what God's telling you. You respond. Now, there are times when that means you sit down with the family and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to pray together. We're going to we're going to do devotions together, however you want to put that. Yes, I get that. But really, the key is you must respond to what God is telling you. First, what is God saying to you? And then secondly, respond to it. 
Do something about it. Don't just be. Don't just, don't just hope it goes away. You know, if you ignore, ignore something long enough, it'll go away. The Holy Spirit will do that eventually, but you don't want that. Okay? Respond. Lord, you want me to, you want me to pray for, for my coworkers. Okay? Then respond. Write all their names down. Begin to pray for them. Do that regularly, consistently. And then say, okay, God, what's the next step? I'm going to respond. And then the third part of this is the kingdom of God is truly just one person at a time. Again, putting it back into the big picture kind of mentality. If everybody in the kingdom of God responded the exact same way that you respond, whether it be a good thing or a bad thing, if everybody in the kingdom of God um, listen to the Lord as good as you do. Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? If everybody in the kingdom of God walked in the power of the Holy Spirit the way that you do, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? And I'm not totally picking on it. Some of these you may say, I think it would be good. Would, would, if everybody in the kingdom of God prayed uh, like you prayed, that your prayer life is what I'm saying, the consistency or not consistency, whatever it is, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Sometimes they're good things. I can say, for my own life, there's some of these things when I, when I go down the line, some of them are good. I say, okay, if the entire kingdom of God did exactly what I'm doing here, that would be good. And then sometimes I, no, that would be bad. Okay, that would be good. Oh, that would be bad. Analyze it and say, okay, I have got to respond. I've got to respond. We are, we are, we are, we must as a church we must, this year, I'm saying a calendar year, but it's not limited to a calendar year. We must pursue God with everything about us. As we have to. The kingdom of God, church of Brian, we've got to pursue God with everything. We've got to because I think we have allowed the lack of pursuing God to force us into a place where now we don't have a choice. I think the world is going to, our American world is going to change greatly over the next few years. And again, there's still that separating, I think, has been naturally going on. And if, and, if, and if a bunch of bad stuff happened in our country, and it causes the church to get on their face before God, then I say, let it be so. If it'll, if it'll push us toward God, let it be so. Because all of the affluence and everything else that's happened over the last four or five decades haven't pushed us toward God. So maybe, maybe things need to shift gears and that'll push us toward God. I don't know. I'm not God. I don't understand these things. I don't know the big picture. But at the end of the day, we must pursue God. Love God with everything about you. Love Him with everything in your spirit and your mind. Everything. Everything. You've got to do this. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> we know our tagline is pursue God to reach others. Again, I'm excited about this. I don't, I don't see this as a negative. Um, in fact, I wish I, could, um, I wish I could make you see. <coughs> excuse me. Make you see in my spirit, in my prayer time, what I think God is, is showing me here. I think, I think God is really, I think God's going to do so many things through you this year that it's going to amaze you. You're going to look at this time next year, you're going to look back and go, wow. I had no idea. I did not see that coming. People that you've been praying for for years are going to get saved. People at work that you've had 
little conversations with, you're going to engage and they're going to get saved. I believe that, guys. I believe we're going to witness to more people. I'm saying individualistic. We're going to witness to more people than we ever have before. And I believe we're going to, we're going to see more and more miracles around here. It's just supernatural stuff. But you know where that comes from? Pursuing God. Pursuing God. Going after God. Going after God. Right? So bow your heads with me. And I've been thinking about this <clears throat> a lot. The kingdom of God starts when we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Savior. And so I want us to do that. I want us to just, we're just going to pray this like a uh, salvation prayer. But I'm not going to have you repeat after me. I want you to do this from your own heart, your own mind. But start there with Jesus, you, you're my king. And I, and I want to I be part of this kingdom. And then, and then we respond to that. Okay? Lord, I, I, I submit myself to you right now, God. That I am a sinner that needs your blood covering, Jesus. I need to be forgiven, washed clean. Lord, sometimes I walk, so much of my life is about me, and I walk in self so much. God, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about you. That, that Lord, that you that you will forgive and cover, that you will make me right, you will pull me in close. And Lord, now I'm I'm part of the kingdom. And Jesus, being part of the kingdom, I don't want to just sit on the sidelines. I want to I want to be part of the kingdom. I want to carry. I want to. I want to carry the the load that you have for me. I want to. I want to take responsibility. Lord, when you're needing somebody to go into the fight, I'm there. Lord, I don't want to. I don't want you to look past me because you can't trust me. I want you to pick me. So, Lord, I want to be used by, by you. Help me to build your kingdom. I. I I, will, I pray that I'll take more responsibility for your kingdom. God, and I pray that across this whole room that we'll just take responsibility. Lord, you've given us so much. You've given us so much to be used for you. Gifts and abilities, intelligence. An entire life that we can dedicate to you. Lord, I want to I own this. I want to carry the kingdom forward best that I can, I want to carry the kingdom forward. And I pray this all across this room. Holy Spirit, you get in our minds. You get in our minds. Help us to have this burning bush moment where we, where we decide, yes, Lord, I will go. Even if I don't think I can, I will speak. Even if I don't think I can, I will pray. Even if I don't think I can, I will witness. Because you've called me. Now use me. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. We can't do it without your empowerment. Fill us with your power, your presence. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Lord God, as we 
as we move through the next few weeks, the next couple months, God, pull us closer into you. God, help us to have these burning bush moments, just to find the, the divine moments where, where we are seeking after you, that we're, we're hungering for you and your presence and your righteousness. And that, Lord, that you meet us right there. And then, and then show us, show us what the next step is. God, we thank you for this. We thank you, Jesus. You're the king, and we follow you. Lord, give us an opportunity this week to minister to somebody. Pray for them, talk to them about your word, witness to them. Maybe, maybe somebody gets saved this week. Lord, give us an opportunity just to minister to somebody this week that we recognize it as a profound moment. We thank you for this. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray for our country. Lord, this is going to be an <clears throat> interesting, challenging week. We know this. God, we just pray for justice. We pray for truth. We plead your justice and your truth over our country. Jesus' name. Amen. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. Do the best you can. He's going to give you an opportunity to pursue him. Do the best you can. And uh, God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here. And we will see you Wednesday night. Regardless of what happens this week, if weird things happen, we're still going to have church, okay?